0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to try to do another podcast. I know we've been a little irregular with these. We're going to try to get a little more regular, have them more often. But we don't want to have them just to, just to have them. We want to make sure they're good. I want to make sure I have a quality, something for you to hear. I don't want to just be filling time. But I think I've got some good things today title of this story is Obvious and Oblivious. First thing is, those are two different words, mean two different things. If something is obvious, that means it's readily apparent. It should be easily seen. If something is oblivious, if someone is oblivious, then they're missing the obvious. Uh, Obvious would be when it's rain clouds everywhere. It's going to rain. It's obvious. And oblivious would be when somebody is digging a ditch by hand, and as they scoop up the dirt and carry it off in a wheelbarrow, they go around a shovel. That would be oblivious to the shovel. Okay, that's your vocabulary lesson for the day. Going to talk again about cancer a little bit today. It's a book I read, uh, Emperor, Emperor of All Maladies, The Story of Cancer. Really a good book. Now, it's a funny thing. It took me forever to read it, but it was really a good book. Uh, one of the things we talked about there is there were several treatments for cancer. First, they did nothing, and then it was surgery. You know, they'd cut that thing out, and then they'd cut more out, and they would just make huge removals of tissue and all kinds of things in an attempt to get the cancer out. And then they stumbled on, more or less stumbled on the idea of chemotherapy. They found that mustard gas would uh, do some things for leukemia. Then they kind of stumbled on radiology and they kind of started stumbled on hormones. The way we generally approached cancer was just keep trying stuff. You know, okay, we tried to cut it out. Well, that didn't work. Let's try some chemo. Well, that didn't work. There wasn't much effort put into understanding cancer. It was just try this, try this, try this. Finally, there became some ideas about prevention and some ideas about, hey, let's try to understand what we're dealing with here. What are the causes? What are the carcinogens? One of the first things they figured out was there were chimney sweeps, a lot of chimney sweeps were getting cancer. In fact, it was just about a one to one. This kind of cancer chimney sweeps got and only chimney sweeps got. And usually these were young boys, disadvantaged young boys who couldn't find any other way to work and their job was to clean the clean out the chimneys and they were around all that soot, all that stuff and they developed a cancer That was pretty much their cancer. And that kind of started the idea of what's causing this cancer. And that was a pretty obvious deal. If chimney sweeps get it and only chimney sweeps get it, there's something in their job that's causing the problem. The thing that's interesting to me there is we look back now and look at cigarette smoking and cancer and think that's a cinch. how, How did we miss that? How did we go for decades without understanding the correlation between cigarette smoking and lung cancer. You know this our cigarette addiction came home a couple of times with wars. Evidently after the civil war in 1864 lots of guys came back from the war pretty much addicted to cigarettes and cigarette consumption went up quite a bit then. But even more so after the end of World War II, huge number of GI's coming home with an addiction to cigarettes. Of course, uh, the tobacco companies are complicit in that. They were giving everybody all the cigarettes they could handle, <clears throat> I guess, or giving them plenty of them. Anyway, it's interesting to me that by around 1960, the US average consuming 11 cigarettes per day. 11 cigarettes per day for every man, woman, and child in the in the country. 4,000 per year, per person. That's a lot of cigarettes. We had no idea or nobody seemed to understand that this was causing all this lung cancer. When this first idea was put forward, there were people that said, yeah, 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 cigarettes cause lung cancer and so do pantyhose. <laughs> yeah, well, that just shows you we, we, we didn't catch on very, very quickly. The first to notice this correlation between cigarette smoke and lung cancer was none other than the tobacco companies. Uh, They learned to obfuscate, manipulate, and call for further study. It's interesting that they were the first ones to figure out this is a real situation here. This is something we need to think about. Of course, not everyone gets cancer, and that's kind of part of what causes the problem. If you have a one-to-one, if everybody that smokes has cancer and everybody that has cancer smokes, it's pretty easy. But we all know, even still today, that for some reason, there's a lot of people that can smoke without any detrimental effects. So that's where we get our title, Obvious and Oblivious. It seems so obvious today that cigarette smoke is what caused the problem. And at the time, in the 50s, it, everyone was so oblivious to what cigarettes were doing. And it's always struck me, because I understand that people, there are people who just pick up cigarettes and like the way they taste and enjoy them from the beginning. But my experience with cigarettes was, good grief, who wants this? You're coughing and getting sick and it's nasty. and it, Well, anyway, obvious and oblivious. Okay, so in 1954... A guy named Dahl, two guys, Dahl and Hill, they did the first really big epidemiological study on possibility of cigarettes causing cancer. And they did a study of doctors, and it was a long-term study. And over that period of time there were 789 deaths. They studied and looked and found out that 36 of those deaths were by lung cancer they went further and found all 36 that died of lung cancer were smokers they immediately said we're on to something but even after that even after that study which it seems to me like we didn't even need that study even after that study it took decades for people to accept this new understanding I just finished another book recently It's called The Butchering Art. It's the story of uh, Joseph Lister. Really an interesting book. Really an interesting story. You know, one of the things about Lister was he was pushing the envelope on germs. He got the idea from Pasteur. Pasteur was really a significant scientist. And... In the 1860s, after Pasteur had figured out there were little germs, there were little microorganisms all over the place causing all all kinds of problems, he said that's what's making our food spoil. The scientific journal La Presse said of Pasteur, I am afraid that the experiments you quote, Mr. Pasteur, will turn against you. The world into which you wish to take us is really too fantastic. (laughs) Pasteur has an earth-shattering understanding about the world we live in. And, of course, it's very slow to be accepted. Joseph Lister took his ideas. Joseph Lister took what Pasteur had developed and applied it to surgery and to antiseptic. And he found carbolic acid, and he figured out that it would work uh, for a lot of patients to a large degree to keep them from getting sepsis and infection. It's interesting when Lister came to the United States and tried to explain this to the Americans, it was not well received at all. In fact, it's really kind of embarrassing how the Americans treated him. (laughs) didn't listen to him. Uh, There were a couple of exceptions. There were two brothers, Johnson and Johnson, who started a little company. Based on what Lister had taught them. Yeah, you've heard of it, Johnson and Johnson, the same Johnson and Johnson. But it was not well received at all. And in fact, in 1881, Garfield gets shot. And there's a great book written by Candace Millard on that on that story, Destiny of the Republic. You know, a lot of guys in the Civil War, they they didn't take the bullets out. They were living with lead in them, and they lived they lived fine. You, you know, it wasn't real a real problem. It didn't necessarily have to always come out for them to live a healthy life. And Garfield got shot, and they couldn't find the bullet, and they kept poking around and probing, and probing with their bare hands, and and using other things that were not clean in any way. And there's a there's an idea that if they left Garfield alone, if they'd have just Said, you've been shot, we're gonna see if you get better. He probably would have. But they kept going and digging and carrying on and not understanding the world of germs. And Garfield, of course, died. It's really a, an interesting thing to me how often it takes a long time for science to catch on. A new idea sometimes it takes forever. Now, there's one big exception to that, and that's Einstein. Evidently, when he came up with special relativity, Max Planck and the others said, "Good grief, this guy's on to something," and it was accepted pretty quick. But as a general rule, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. We we like to think of scientists as these pure people who, oh yes, the facts the facts tell us this. We'll follow the facts, but they're just like the rest of us. And and really, we all all quit doing that. That's a characteristic I don't want to have. Is really being slow and hard-headed about new ideas and new things and better ways of doing things and new understandings. So that's kind of the point of this one is don't be a slow catcher owner. Don't be somebody who won't listen to a new idea. I think that's just a great characteristic for people to have in general to say, well, let's let's look at the facts. Let's look at it. Let's open our minds. I think as a general rule, an open mind is a good thing. So that's my point for the day. Open up those minds. Hey, I hope this helps. Hey, read a good book and try something new.